right here. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want him? Yeah. Welcome back to Redneck Tech Podcast. I'm pretty sure this is episode 123, and we are in by far the nicest studio that we've ever been in. I'm looking at Ryer. I'm look, looking at Caleb. I'm looking at Ernie Santana. I'm Hi. At, and I'm looking at Greg Ritz. We've got four people on the podcast this time, and this one's kind of going to be really fun for us because we are in Ernie Studio, which we've been talking about. Ernie is possibly going to be doing a podcast that we're super excited about that, uh, he has got these set up to do it. I'm looking for Jamie somewhere. Young Jamie. Jamie from Rogan's podcast. But I mean, you. you're in you're in the seat where young Jamie would sit. I am. I feel weird because this is where Ernie's supposed to sit. I'm sitting in Ernie's chair. Well, I'm learning how you're doing this. So. <laughs> well, Ernie, thank you so much for, first of all, letting us come down and letting us steal your studio. And uh, we are down here filming some pickups for Huntmasters. We're going to be doing a show with Ernie. We're going to call Miami Vice. And, uh, and I'm going to let Ernie introduce himself because I wouldn't be able to do it justice. So, Ernie, take it away. Well, I don't know if I'm up for a, a full bio on <laughs> myself, but I'm just a – I love bow hunting. I love my family and I love cars. How's that? That's Well, that describes you pretty well. <laughs> um, so, well, what people don't know is Ernie is a passionate – Cuban yeah. as well. So if you haven't picked that up yet, if you haven't seen a picture of Ernie, yeah. I will tell you he will talk a lot with his hands yeah. on the podcast that you guys won't be able to uh, decipher. And, and the but, food that he's had us eat oh, the last two days. Incredible. But uh, but if there's one word to describe uh, Ernie, it's definitely uh, passion. Yes. And uh, it's been so much fun to get to know you over the last couple of months. I haven't got to spend as much time with you as Ryer has. And of course, not as much time as, as Greg has over the years. But you and Greg met. How many years ago on your on your separate farms in Illinois? What was it, Greg? Like three years three ago? Three years ago. Yeah. Three years ago. So you guys, they don't border each other, but they're pretty close to each other in Illinois. You have a farm up there that you've been hunting for years, and Greg obviously has a farm up there he's been hunting for years. So um, Greg is uh, has hunt masters that we produce, and then Ernie's going to be on the show a couple of times. And this is actually, we're down here filming the pickups that are kind of telling the behind-the-scenes Miami Cuban heritage of Ernie, which has been way out of the box for Ryer and I. It's it's mm-hmm. such a different vibe for us to get to come down here to Miami Beach and the cars and the palm trees and the white sand beaches and the Cuban food. It's And it's exactly what Greg said. It's not what you think of when you think of a hunter, but Ernie's a hunter to the core, which is really, really cool. And... Um, we're down here trying to tell the best version of that story that we can in our, you know, our little meek little way of running around and filming some cool stuff in little Havana and running around Ernie's house and doing some pickups and some talks and stuff and working on a potential YouTube series that we're going to be doing. That's going to be a lot of fun. So what I wanted to get into first is Ernie, you've been listening to redneck tech for a while, haven't you? I have. (laughs) (laughs) How many, how many have you listened to? I think I'm going on three or four episodes. Three or four episodes? Yeah. Well, because the first time that I knew Ernie was listening to the podcast, I guess we will get into turkeys, okay. is I, I'll, anybody who listens to the podcast knows I'm, I don't, I don't uh, advocate for shooting turkeys with a bow because I just think it's very anticlimactic. And I get a text from Ernie that says, 
what what what's wrong with shooting turkeys with a bow? <laughs> because you're <laughs> you only bow hunt now. Yes. Yeah. So he's only bow hunts and. So he was kind of, I don't know, <laughs> partially offended or it was like, well, why not shoot him with a bow? Yeah. I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> you know, why isn't, you know, and I was trying to figure that out, but I just said, you know, let me, let me just text him. <laughs> well, then you've got Greg. who's like, eh, not too excited about turkeys. He's, he's, tur- Greg is not mad at turkeys at all. I would, I think this would be a perfect time for Greg to impart onto us uh, the nugget of wisdom that you shared the <laughs> other day when we were sitting around, uh, sitting around the fire. A Gregism? Is that it, what we're going to call it? It was the original. I think that's the original Gregism. <laughs> I don't know if it's the original. I mean, it's the it's. I think it's. It's one just of my the, philosophy why Southerners. I, yeah. I want to know why you think that Southerners are so ate up with right. turkey. So, so let's define Southerners, right? We're talking Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi. Yeah. This is, right. This is going to get offensive, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this will be R-rated. Southwest Missouri. Right, Southwest yeah. Missouri. Fender talking I mean, to you. you're, that <laughs> culture down there loves turkey hunting. Oh, yeah. I mean, every single day, wake up in the morning, chase them every day, you know, fistful of tags, call for other people. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, the, them, o- the, they- only, the only time they don't hunt them is, is when they go to church, and then normally that's 11 a.m. service, so yeah. they can still get in the woods before they get a church. Well, they're, they're calling their brother-in-law, their mom, their aunt to see if they filled their tags because they're going to fill those it, for exactly. them too. Exactly. Yeah, so. but, there's, but there's a reason for it. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, when you, when you travel north, of, like you said, southern Missouri, yeah. right? There's two things happen. You lose interest in turkey hunting and you gain interest in whitetail hunting. Yep. Because everybody in the south, they're so frustrated that their deer season was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't see any deer. They he, didn't shoot any deer. Yeah. Or if they did shoot a deer, it only had two points. Yeah. He, right. He, he is not wrong. Excuse right. me. I, I don't appreciate being called out like that, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> right. <About> my deer. <laughs> okay. I think Huntmaster's viewership just went down. <laughs> You're supposed to be supportive yeah. of what I did. Uh, well, I would. Call it, my 14-year-old if you want support. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've we've gotten into some philo- philosophical questions over the last couple of days that have been really fun conversations. But yeah, it's it's so funny to uh, to hear Greg's take on turkeys, Ernie's take on turkeys, then my take on turkeys. They're three very different. Viewpoints. And I'm just caught here in the well, middle sure. of it. And, and by the way, I'm the only one north of the Mason Dixon line. Let's just yeah, call it that's what right. It is. Yeah. Although I it I wouldn't. I don't think a lot of people would consider this the South. Wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. (laughs) Okay, you're really going to make him mad now. I'm a real Southerner. (laughs) I'm a real Southerner. Don't look at me. No. (laughs) Caleb's the one who's born and raised. I'm just... I was just trying to start a conflict. <laughs> I I was born way southern, much more southern than you are. Oh yeah, that, this is true. This is true. Uh huh. Yeah, but no, I it's yeah. You're you're skating on thin ice there, Ryer. You better not would say you, stuff like that. Hey, Caleb, would you consider Miami the South in this most stereotypical way? In the most stereotypical way, no. I mean, geographically, it's, it is the it is in the South. Yeah, but you're—I mean, you're from Colorado. If we really want to get technical on yeah. on stereotypes, we can start talking about Colorado mm-hmm. and California too. Well, you can talk about Colorado. You can't really stereotype me into California. A little bit. You did live there for a long time. Four years is not a long time. <laughs> it is now. It is that I'm 25, but like when I'm 50, four years is a throwaway. <sighs> anyway, very, very true. Mo- except moving on. So after you're 50, you want every single one of them you can get. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So. Last podcast we did with Greg was 
when do we do that is that november october so we talked about Early, yeah first week in november it, i believe it, it, it well it was whenever me and yeah, we whenever did it, we, we did, did it in those, the cabin mm-hmm. yeah we did it in the cabin because it was me you and greg right yes so and you suggested that we needed to do a follow-up we did on after the season was over and we started getting into the edits which we've kind of not dipped our toes we're a little further than that into the edits and you kind of wanted to do a where are we now and kind of uh whether we're not fired yet or not <laughs> so um i guess we'll we'll jump into that because we've finished the first full season now we're doing pickups which we've got what two or three more different we got to go to new hampshire we got to do an illinois pickup and this that was it right mm-hmm. that's the only two we got left so i mean we're 90 percent there you know 95 percent there from first season of taking over production and i'm i'm happier now than i was then especially after that first edit because i'll be quite honest i was super nervous about the first one being really tough to get to the place to where you were to where you were happy with it and where we were happy with it because no i mean we had some huge shoes to fill i mean the show is excellent and it sets a really high bar for production, for storytelling, for cinematography. And when you called us, when you called me about it, whatever it was, a year and a half ago, I kind of, I went, oh man, that's a lot. That's a, that's a really, that's a big stick to swing. And uh, I kind of want to get your take on where do you think we're at? You know, it's interesting. Uh, the show's format is dramatically different than virtually all other yeah. outdoor shows. I'd say Meat Eater m- may be the most similar mm-hmm. from a storytelling and um, the dynamics of yeah. producing the show. Because sure. it's not run and gun, right? Mm-hmm. It's just not capturing the moment. And that's obviously why we're here in Miami, devoting our time to build Ernie's character and his story, which we're going to spend four days to produce something that's four minutes. Yeah, maybe. And I think that's one thing that's lost on a lot of people who sit and watch a 30-minute show is how many hours actually go into the the filming, the editing, the production. I mean, months. Yeah. For yeah. A, for, for one single episode. And, uh, and everything is very well organized. You guys did a great job on this trip with the pre-production. And I've seen that evolve over time. So yeah. I'll, I'll give you guys... An A minus. It's tough to get A minus. Yeah, well, I, than I a was minus. about to say, I don't uh, A plus. I'd right. like to see what you, a Let's put it this way: like. you're rolling ninety days, didn't start over. <laughs> but, I, but but on the organization and execution against the plan. Yeah. And uh, and and I think that that's excellent. And then modifying the plan over time. Yeah. Because rolling with the punches. Yeah, you, you have to roll with the punches. We came into this year saying we wanted to do six whitetail episodes, which I've never done six. Mm-hmm. But I drew Iowa this year. And, uh, and we knew that Ernie was going to support us with a couple whitetail shows. So we had the ability. But that's tough because we did all of that. Well, in your format, it's really tough. But we did all, correct. We yeah. did all that in 50 whitetail days. Yeah. We didn't hunt for 100 whitetail days. So on 50 whitetail days, you know, we filmed six episodes, which is, which is crazy to think about. Well, it's like, I felt like every time, as soon as the season started, was whatever, felt like a week later. You already had, what, two deer on the ground or three? Something like that? We Crazy did. early yeah. in October? Two. And uh, I remember we talked, even kind of hinted around that fact, like, okay, let's not jinx ourselves. Yeah. Don't even talk about it. Let's just not talk about it. Because, you know, hopefully this continues. And you know, it's really nice early in the season to get stuff on the ground like that to take pressure off. And now you've essentially got the whole season to 
either tell new stories or develop better stories for the ones you've already got, which is really, really nice. And it's cool with uh, the, the, the whitetail thing is always fun, but it's really challenging with the 365 concept where essentially we're not telling a linear deer story, like deer shows up, deer walks in, deer dies, recovery. It's got everything to do with what led us to essentially growing, producing and making that deer on the farm. And then the scouting that took place, the hunting, the encounters, and then coming back to why we set stands this way. You know, it's the it's the entire, I guess, life cycle of what it takes to harvest sometimes one particular deer, one stand, one field, one farm, whatever the case may be. And I know we talked about that at the beginning to where we wanted to make sure that those stories were not singularly focused on just you know, a, 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 a one week hunt. They were right. everything leading up to and after, you know, the time and planning, because that's what drives hunt masters is the story. Um, and, and the story's not there, then the show's not there. You know, it's not, it's not what it's supposed to be without that story. Um, and, uh, it's been, it's been a challenge. Like Ryer, what are your, on that first edit? I know it took us longer than we would like this to take, but what's your kind of thoughts through the first edit of hunt masters? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I can definitely parrot what what you you both have said is it's an it's an entirely different show than anything that I've really cut in the past, um, and the amount of data or footage yeah. uh, that we have and the nature of the story um, really kind of overwhelmed me at first, and I think I spent a decent amount of time just trying to figure out a workflow and an organizational system that would um, be robust enough to handle all of that going forward. Because um, in the past, uh, on a, a show where you show up and you film whatever happens as a, a single shooter, producer, one-man band, uh, and then you take that back into the editing room and then you just basically cut what happened. Right. I mean, sometimes there's a little shifting of, oh, let's take this morning and put it here. Let's take this evening and put it here so that, you know, if you kill early, your kill isn't, you know, in the first segment. Because if that's the only kill you get, it's really got to be in the fourth segment. Or your climactic kill is at the end of the show to kind of preserve that structure. But it's really not a whole ton of shuffling around. It's a very dump it all into Premiere um, and open up day one, morning one, boom, cut it. Okay, next one, boom, cut it. Um, with your show, Greg, it, it, it isn't like that. And and so um, I wanted to develop a system so that it would be super conducive to being able to pull footage from, um, let's say three years from now, we, we uh, kill a deer that we've been watching and looking at since this season or last season. And every year, you know, we see him randomly here and there i wanted to build a system that would allow me as an editor to go back and pull up all that footage without having to just go search around for it for hours and hours and hours and have that at my fingertips so that when we cut that show we have all that historical footage of the animal and we finally had that yeah and so um i think that was the first big hurdle and then of course with any show trying to figure out um, what is the heartbeat of this show? 
what what really drives this show and what really um, what is what is Greg looking for as well out of the show uh, because ultimately this is Greg's show and when I cut it I want it to be something that um, meets your goals Greg and is something that you're proud to put your name on uh, proud to be a part of and is representative of your brand and so it's always kind of a a the first edit for me is always tough because you have an idea from talking to you about how it should look but of course you got to take all of these ideas and then put it into something and so that first one is almost like uh you almost feel like you're cutting blind a little bit because you're you're going okay well i like how this this goes but you know, this may not be how Greg wants it, or yeah. let's well, let's do this, that, and the other, and then you know, you send it to Greg and and get the feedback. And so I think there was a lot of pressure for that first one, yeah, um, because of all of the uh, challenges and new things that we had to do leading well, up. Well, and it. it's cool too because it's the the style in which this show is done. Sometimes we can even get into edits and say, "Hey, this might even look better this way." Mm-hmm. or we can kind of try and, I mean, because obviously we're not going to cut like other people. You know, we're going to have, I mean, the show's got its style. Right. But we can do things that kind of put our own little spin on it or our own little flair, whatever that may be. Um, And that's where we enjoy doing it. You know, when we can kind of, we can do it within the mold, but also have our own small signature on something to where, you know, whether it's song choice, whether it's pacing, whether it's, you know, regardless of what it is, but that's, that's what makes it fun. But I want to talk about now, like Ernie, you filmed some hunts last year, but this year you filmed virtually all your hunts in Illinois, right? Oh yeah. Both of them. So how have you, so kind of give me your take on being in front of the camera in the tree. Like that's not something you've done a whole lot until recent years, right? Kind of what's your take on that? You know, it's, it's somewhat intimidating at first, but you really have to put it out of your head. Yeah. It's just you can't think about it. Yeah. Just, you know, have to, you got to feel comfortable in your own skin and do what you do and don't, don't show off for, for somebody else. Well, just you, be true to yourself. Well, you did something this year that would be extremely hard for a lot of people. And that is Ryer had to call you off deer. Oh, and, yeah. But you also committed early in the season to where, you know, you and Greg talked and you're like, look, if it's not good for the show, then I won't shoot. You know, I want to make sure that what we're doing is hunt masters, you know, and that takes a commitment because if the kill's not good, if the footage isn't great, then we can't do it because it doesn't fit the mold of the show. So by making that commitment, and and I've only had to call like two or three people off my whole career. And I remember Ryer called me and was like, I had to call Ernie off today. I was like, really? He's like, I was like, how did that go? He's like, dude, he was, he was fine. So t- tell me that story. Well, I mean, look, first of all, there is a fine line between trying to trying to be a part of Huntmasters mm-hmm. or the opposite is you're a Viewmaster. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're, uh, you have to go out there and kill. Yeah. But I'm, I, I feel no pressure. I think it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I mean... Look, it's a lot better to be in the in the tree with somebody else that you can talk to. Yeah, that isn't on social media while you're uh, yeah while you're hunting, right? <laughs> That's another issue with Ryer. <laughs> but uh, no, it's I, I. I think I did okay. I think we we enjoyed it, which is the most important thing. 
And I just love the camaraderie yeah. that our whole crew has. I mean, yeah. it's just a wonderful thing. It, it's really a, a very refreshing for me to, you know, be on so many solo hunts and, and traveling all over North America alone. And, and now, well, I can look forward to being with my friends and, and, and enjoying. Well, essentially you feel about, you, you feel a part of something even bigger than what you're used to doing, you know, and, and it's there forever. That's what I love about it. You know, and I've, I'm always 99% of the time I'm behind the camera, but I've got all these things to look back on. Like every story I can tell somebody, like I've got a video, I got a full fledged full hunt of this. If you want to see it, you know, it's versus me saying, Hey, yeah, this big deer came in and, shot it and i was like no i can show you the footage and even though i was behind the camera it's like yeah, it's so special and, and we've talked about this a thousand times it's doing this job and being a part of this industry has been such a blessing not not just because of this is what we get to do every day but it's the people that we've met the places we've got to see like ryer went and bought some uh you bought some like little havana and like some different trinkets today he always tries to buy something from all the cool places that we get to go mm-hmm. and he what, what is this you said something about a camera amazing how many places this camera's taking me yeah uh it's kind of crazy when i when i think about it the camera is almost like a passport to these places and experiences that i would have never had access to before and um i think i can say that probably for 90 percent of the things that i've done since um really choosing this career path because uh, like I had never hunted, I had never uh, done like farm work or ranch work or um, really traveled around much before before this job. And uh, since having the camera, like you just get to go to all go and do all these things that you just never would have. You know, yeah. I mean, all the places that I've been able to go just through hunting all of the different species of animals and ecosystems and states and environments that I've been able to just go and see uh, because of the camera, uh, you know, and all the things that I've been able to do or been brought along on to be a part of because I have a camera to capture it. And then all the people that you get to meet um, from all over the U.S., all over the world with a huge variety of life experiences and pasts and stories i mean um it's it's really kind of a beautiful thing yeah for sure i feel the same way yeah i can see how it enriches you it enriches all of us really yeah yeah i was one of those guys that back before i started doing this like travel wasn't important to me i was like meh i can see that on google i'm just i was kind of a homebody like i didn't really care to travel and then i got into doing this years ago and you know first time i went out west i was like holy crap like, this isn't like the pictures. This is better. And, you know, then I got to go to the Yukon. Then I got to go to South Africa. Then I got to, you know, you know, do all these things that for just because of this job. And it's like, now I want to see everything. Now I've got a bucket list of things that I haven't got to do yet. It's like, this is what I want to do next. Like, I've never gotten to go to New Zealand. I want to go to New Zealand real bad. Um, I've, I've always wanted to do the Hawaii trip that we're talking about doing this summer. Like, those are things that I've always wanted to do. Um, and... You know, if it weren't for this career path, I not ever get to do them. Um, and, and it's cool now because I've, and I've talked about it before, but my dad almost kind of lives vicariously through me and my trips now. Like, he's when I get home, he's like, oh, where'd you go this time? You know, what'd you do this time? And he thinks it's so cool, Like, which is cool now because my dad's always wanted to do two things. He's always wanted to see Montana. He's always wanted to go fish in Alaska, and he turned 60 this year. So I'm 
taking my dad to Montana to turkey hunt this spring in May. And then I don't think I'm going to have time, but I'm going to try and take him fishing in Alaska at some point too. Cause that's two things he's always wanted to do. So I'm going to try and take him to do that. Um, but Ernie, how is your perspective? How is your perspective on the production side of things changed? Like, how much of it have you done before? But now that you kind of see the inner workings of how the essentially how the how the product is made, like how has that changed? Sorry about that, but uh, yeah, um, boy, it's so much more nuanced yeah. than I thought. Yeah, how how so? It's just so layered. It really is so comprehensive. We, we you know we uh, we. <coughs> Sorry about that. You're good. <coughs> this is not coronavirus. <laughs> I guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah, I've, ha- I've had a, a cough for the past 10 days. And oh, man. <coughs> but um, anyway, back on topic. You know, when um, when I heard you talk about the deer, and we've seen him several times. Yeah. And one of the things I, I thought about was, wow, he's, he's almost making it seem really easy. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. And, you know, we get to see some deer a few times, and then most of the times we get surprised with, you know, with with the bucks we see. But um, a lot of, you know, I, I got to say that a lot of the production side, we just, back to your question. <coughs> oh, wow. <laughs> get it all out there. <laughs> Sounds like I got pneumonia. <laughs> but, uh, no, um you get to, you get to add so much context to the story. Yeah, and that's amazing because a lot of times I've been in the woods and I and I you know something happens or and I lose it right. Yeah. So yeah. then if it doesn't stay in my memory. We've lost it's 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 gone. Yeah. Who knows how many moments I've been through that I wish I could, you know, just have yeah, documented for sure. And that is the beauty of what we're trying to do is we're trying to get an ex- a, a moment an experience, a memory, and expand upon it. Yeah. And to I, be able to do that is fascinating to me. It, that, that is to me too, but I also feel in the same vein of what you're saying, almost on the TV side, you're a little bit handcuffed at the same time because you've only got 21 and a half minutes to tell that story. Sometimes that story really needs an hour, or sometimes that story only needs 10 minutes. You know, But you've got to fit that story in that, that framework. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's like, okay, the show would be better if it was 15 minutes. Or I really wish we had an hour to tell this story. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and sometimes there are, you know, part ones and part twos. But, you know, think about think about a, a movie, a good movie. Well, now a movie's great. But now think about movies that are trilogies. Now mm-hmm. think about series, you know, that are eight seasons long can't tell that story effectively in a two-hour show you definitely couldn't tell it in a 21 and a half minute show you know and that's that's the only part for me and 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 i know uh greg's gonna agree because greg's a pure storyteller he loves stories sometimes a story needs more well uh if i may interrupt uh where we're going with this but one of the best examples of what you just said is linus yeah i mean we got to tell that story a couple of years ago and it's so much more than what we were able to yeah. to tell. Isn't that true, Greg? Oh, no question. Yeah. I mean, but at that point, though, we weren't able to document Linus. 
Yeah. Right. So really, the, Linus's history was in your trail camera pictures and in your mind and your experiences. And I think what Ryer was saying is so true on the whitetail side, especially going back two, three, four years. Those are the richest stories that we have to tell because it's those experiences, those encounters, those memories, those letdowns, those hopes, those fears if the deer are going to make it. And, uh, I mean, this year, you know, two of our best deer, um, unfortunately, didn't make it on my farm. Yeah. You know, they were harvested by the neighbors, and they were both boon and crack a deer. They were mature deer. Um, I personally chose uh, to let them go and, uh, and happy for the neighbors that uh, harvested them. But that they're story elements that have a dead end, fell off a cliff that, that yeah. aren't going to be revisited. Yeah, yeah that'll never uh, see the light of day. No. Unfortunately, and it was what a story it would have made if uh, was that um, that really awesome deer underneath uh, the scrape? Oh, uh, riser, riser! Yeah. Oh my yeah. lord, what a deer! Right. We're yeah. going back to Linus though. Had we had two years of history of your experiences, if we had a camera with you, yeah. how much more rich would those stories have been? Yeah, well, and to me, there's so many stories. Like, and I think about, I mean, we've seen, we've all seen hunting shows. You know, every version, good, bad, and ugly. Um, the best stories are the ones that you have. The history and the documentation and, you know, follow the deer for three to five years, whatever it was. Um, and those those stories are incredibly hard to tell. Because I think about, like, like Lee and Tiff. You know, when we used to do Lee and Tiff forever. And you're in, you know, obviously you're really familiar with how their show's done, too. You know, they have deer that they follow and, and they, they, you know, they're very, you know, fortunate, worked really hard to have farms to where they can manage those deer to where they're probably not going to get killed by a neighbor. They live there. They don't leave. So, you know, they're pretty safe most of the time. Now, they do leave, lose deer to neighbors, but they can tell a story like a Gnarls Barkley mm-hmm. that they've got. How many years of footage do they have in Gnarls? Oh, yeah. um, like you say, it, it would take four hours to tell the true story yeah, of Gnarls. Yeah, 100%. And, uh. And I'm sure Lee would love to have seen a four-hour version of that. And, and and maybe one day he will tell a four-hour story of that. But, you know, I think Gnarls ended up being, was it just a one episode? Uh, one episode. One episode. So 21-ish minutes yeah. of a deer they had five-plus years of footage of. Right. Um, And that's, and, and, and at the same time, we see that story or we see a deer that just shows up, somebody hunting over a feeder in Texas, you know, and I enjoy those too. But at the same time, it's like we've seen deer hunts in about every way you can see them now. Now I'm trying to think of like, okay, now how can we tell the story of a deer differently? I don't have the answer to that yet. But it's like, okay, how do we how do we tell the story of this elk hunt or this deer hunt or this, you know, ram hunt or this turkey hunt, whatever it is? Now how do we change that narrative? And I think it's what we've been talking about the last couple of days is we've got to add value in other ways. That's right. Um, and – if we can add value, and that can be something from teaching something, imparting wisdom, um, learning something ourselves, um, you know, the management side, the conservation side, whatever that may be. And there are people that do that well, but I want to figure out how to do it better. Yeah. I want to figure out how to put my thumb on that and be like, okay, you know, I want to, I want to die on this hill of telling the best version of that that I can. And having the time, the energy, the budget to do those things correctly. Um, because, you know, that's always the limiting factor in this, what we're doing. is like having enough time, having enough budget, having enough 
all these things to be like, okay, I have this grand vision, but I have this much time. Or I have this grand vision, we have $100 to do it. <laughs> you know, yep. there's always one of those, there's always some limit. And that's the, and me and Greg have talked about this in the outdoor industry. It's just, it's hard to get some of these companies or some of these other shows to, you know, to find value in those things. And, uh, and obviously I understand, you know, you know, we understand good production takes time, costs money and great stories. I mean, look at movie budgets. I mean, holy crap. And, you know, but that's that's kind of what I'm I'm looking forward to is trying to find and continuing to add value to these stories. I do want to add something to this because I know a lot of the people listening to the Redneck Tech podcast are videographers, are people who are passionate about the industry, yeah. are other professionals, mm-hmm. right? So I think imparting your wisdom is every shot has to be brilliant mm-hmm. in my mind. So there's four, roughly 400 edit points in a Huntmaster show. There may be 370, could be 420. There's about 400, okay? And everyone in my mind has to be perfect. So when I'm looking at other people's shows, throwaway shot, throwaway shot, non-value added, didn't care, forgettable, right? That's how I look at, and I grade the quality of other people's work against mine with how many things were brilliant. Yeah. And, and I like to, I rather take the time, like right now we're filming, you know, this podcast one, because we enjoy doing it, but two, the lighting is not good to get the bow scene that we need to shoot tonight. Yeah. Now we could have just shot the bow scene, wrapped everything up and headed home. Yeah. Nope. So we're literally taking four hours here to dump footage, go through quality control tech, do this podcast so we can go film something at the appropriate time. And, and I think for a lot of those people who are listening and want to learn something is you can do something, and then you could do something right. Well, what is it you said earlier? I'd rather do it right one time than have to do it twice. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and but it's, it's just like you said, it's like we came down here for four days for what's going to end up being four minutes, you know, maybe. Um, most people aren't willing to put in that time, effort, money, you know, any of those things. Right. Um, but you know, I, what you just said about like watching shows, I can I can about not watch shows anymore. Yeah. Oh it's, my gosh! I mean, I mean, I, I like to rip on Ryer because he and I have <laughs> have a have a yin and yang relationship going on here, and I've, I, I think I paid you two compliments this trip. Well, you I you think forgot, you have right. He paid him two compliments, but I gave you one of the ideas. True. Well, he did what? he did reset his rolling ninety days though. He yeah. did he did stub well, his toe no, once. It was the it was the, the the shopping cart shot was my idea. I'm like, hey, we haven't done the one shot you have to do in a shop in a that's in true. A okay, thing so yet. you're now. But you're, then I did take it and make it my own and did the low angle. Okay. Now whatever. you weren't originally thinking of a low angle. You were thinking of a high angle following. I would have done the low angle when I got the cart though. Well, but you didn't. I did. Okay. Yeah. But yes, we do. I th- I think we have a, a fun. <laughs> A fun relationship, Greg. We, we, we do. And, and, and one thing I do want to say is, is Ryer is always chasing the perfect shot. Oh, yeah. Now, sometimes, he, down a, sometimes, down sometimes. sometimes his ADD <laughs> doesn't bring the dog back very quickly. But, uh, but I do respect that, right? Because you, you see something and, and then your brain says, I can do this better. Yeah. And, uh, and then you always have to balance efficiency and time, you know, with, with that. But, uh, but it's just not checking a box for you. Yeah. Right. And, no. and I think uh, if you want to be really good in this industry now, because there are some brilliant, really good shooters today. Oh, yeah. And photographers. Are. For sure. 
I mean, just just look at all of the pictures on social media just from the shed season that people took versus last year. Incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think it's because there's a group of people. You're one of them. We're the young up and comers who are who are pushing the envelope for better. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, the never ending road to world class. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and and it's cool too. Is exactly what what Greg just said is there's always somebody nipping at your heels. Mm-hmm. And if you're not learning, improving, you know, improving your technology, improving your processes. I, and I put so much value in the pre-production process and I enjoy the pre-production process. I enjoy sitting down and planning. Uh, I'm a planner mm-hmm. when it comes to something big. Like if it's something off the cuff, um, I, I can pretty much roll. I can roll with it too if I have to, but I love sitting down and saying, okay, what story are we trying to tell? What's our audience? How long do we have? Where are we? Where's it at? How much budget do we have? Like I, you give me those parameters, and I, I love that. Um, and I'm also, and Ryder will tell you, I'm an idea guy. I like, I love, I you know, love coming up with ideas. Some of them are good, most of them suck, but I, I come up with ideas, um, and that's what I enjoy. But that is something that's not valued at all by a lot of other productions. They don't take that time on the front end. Mm-hmm. To plan, they just pick up a camera and start shooting. And sometimes they come back with great stuff. Yeah. But there's a difference in getting really pretty shots that have no framework. That have you know, I can go out and get pretty shots all day, but if they don't fit into what I'm trying to set to the story I'm trying to tell, or it's a bunch of pretty shots put to some pretty music, which I've talked about a thousand times, mm-hmm. that's not hard to do. Right. Like if you just want pretty shots to pretty music, I mean that we can do that in an afternoon. But if we're trying to tell a story, which is what everybody should be striving to do is to tell a story, it takes time um, and it takes planning and take, you know, we probably spend, I probably spend before I ever start editing, I'm usually spending at least an entire day planning something before I start editing. if I wanted to take on a big edit, um, you probably spent more than that on this first episode, I would think. Yeah. I mean, is that better? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think um, I think you have to. And I think that it's super important to take the time to do it because, A, it's going to save you a lot of time in, in the long run. And, B, I think it's really the only way to tell <coughs> a good, impactful, emotional story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you don't plan it and you just run into it and start cutting, uh, I think two things will happen. First, there there's a. I think there's an instinct that I have, and probably other editors have, um, but there there's a default way uh, of doing something. And if I were to just sit down and get a bunch of footage, I'm going to cut it the default way, and the default way that I would cut that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to make a good edit. It's, it's going to have a story, but it's not going to have the rich story and it's rich. It's not going to have the rich story and it's probably going to be fairly linear and it's probably going to be fairly standard. Um, and it's going to be based on kind of what I've done for five, six, seven, ten years in your case, something like that. Right. We've all got a default way of, of doing something. And I think when you're approached with a project that necessitates 
a different approach. Nice word. Thank you. Uh, you you can't just run into it and start cutting. Um, you have to really take the time to think about what it is that you're trying to say, what the story is, and then what do I have? And where do all these puzzle pieces fit? How do I arrange them? And that way you can start cutting and you have this framework and you can cut to the framework and you're cutting towards a vision instead of just running on default mode. Yeah. And I think that's how you make something that's different. And I think that's how you make something that is um, impactful. Yeah. but we'll and, and I think it's important to, to want to do that. Well, I don't think people set aside the time to, to plan it all. Mm-mm. They're just like, they get excited about something. They just want to go do it. They just want to go. They just want to go. It's like, it's like a deer hunt. You know, you've got to pick your truck, him or picture your deer. You just want to go out there and hunt him yep. versus sitting back and saying, okay, what's the wind? Where's he at? Where'd he come from? You know, cause you might not want to hunt him where you got the trail cam picture. You might want to kill him before he ever gets there. Cause where he's at, you can't get to him to kill him anyway. It's kind of the same, same thing. It's like, you know, if you don't take a step back and say, okay, how did he get there? Why is he there? You know, it's, it's the same thing with a, any, any decently sized project, you know, sit down, plan out. And, and, and in our case, we, we're not making the video for us. We're making it for a client most of the time. So it can't, not always what we want it to be. It's got to be what they want it to be too. And sometimes that's harder for us. You know, like I've talked about how Dudley's edits are, are hard for me because they're, they're, a lot, they're very talking heavy and they're, they're all informational and they're long. Yeah. To me, his videos should be three to five minutes, and then they'll end up being 14. And it's painstaking for me to do them just because it's not my style. But that's so, what his style is. That's what he wants, and that's what he, that's what he gets. Sounds like me, though. What do you mean? It takes me 30 minutes to say a 30-second story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's – Ernie – I don't think you're you're giving yourself enough credit again. I think you're doing just fine. I think it's forty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well uh, the hand movements take take effort, right? They they, they do. But, no question. But you know, you know the other guy that I've so I've filmed just a couple people in my career that are just straight up natural on camera. One of them was Jeff Foxworthy, and you know he talks with his hands yep. all the time. Like if you tied his hands behind his back, I don't think he could talk. <laughs> you know, I have the same problem. Yeah. Well, I don't think, don't suppress that. I think that's part of your personality. That's part of your persona is you, you talk with your hands. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. It's part of my culture. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, well, uh, that's why we have social distancing, by the way. <laughs> so nobody gets injured <laughs> at the filming of the show. <laughs> Get their eye poked out by Ernie. I want to see, I want to hear. Uh, Ryer's side of the story about him calling me off oh, Mario. Yeah, we didn't we didn't get the didn't get the full story of that. So what happened, Ryer? Or do you just want me to read the text exchange? <laughs> <laughs> you guys were texting about this? <laughs> I would like to know. I mean uh, Did his ninety days was that in question on this one? I think whether he is <laughs> ever gonna make it home was in question. <laughs> See, I've never heard this before. Now I feel very attacked in this room. There's a bunch of property they could just hide you on in Illinois. We would have took him to Iowa. And we've got equipment. <laughs> we've got equipment to do it. Yeah. This is oh true. man. Ginger uh, Ginger goes missing in the Midwest. <laughs> first of all, that wouldn't be a headline because nobody cares. <laughs> nobody would care. Caleb would be like, where's Ryer? Ah, oh, he never came back. Ah, oh, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for editors. 
Uh, so, and I'll and I'll be honest. I was, I think after in the moment, I made a decision, and definitely afterwards, I was probably right along the lines of you. Like I may not have made the right mis- decision. Um, so it's I still, I still don't a hundred percent know. Um, but what had happened was <laughs> what what, what happened was, what happened was so this this buck was coming in. Uh, I've got my standard 18 to 200 on and uh i'm terrible with distances how far was he the first time yes when he just had stepped just barely out uh 30 yards really well he came from my left all the way out there well the first oh, wait, time. 35 40 can be further than that i thought he was further but <laughs> um <laughs> anyways i've got the 18 to 200 on which should I'm, have been plenty of lens for that but okay that's why I'm saying I think he was farther, but I was fully zoomed in and I didn't feel like you, like the deer was small in the frame Yeah, and I didn't feel like like 10% of the frame, 20% of the frame, 5% of the frame, 15 to 20% of the frame. Okay. And I was like, I feel like it needs to be bigger in the frame so that this kill shot is really impactful. And so I told Ernie, don't shoot it, switched over to center scan so that I could get the extra room, got it on the deer pulled focus and as soon as i did that he walks off Mm. and so i was like oh crap (laughs) i just messed up big time um and i was like okay so we'll we'll never see that buck again and now i've got to go back and explain what happened and i'm probably fired and (laughs) i'll never work in the industry again and you know i guess i'll just i just have to go back to california or something um but then like five ten minutes later Buck comes back from the other direction and he just runs through. He's chasing a doe. Yeah. He runs through. There was no chance of anything. And then he comes back from the same direction and he's closer this time, like right up on us. And he's just walking left to right. And now you're in center scan and he's filling up too much of the frame. No. I'm oh. good now. Oh, I'm okay. prepared now. Okay. Um, And he's walking. I don't have him. Ernie does. Yeah. And so I'm saying I don't have him. I don't have him. I don't have him. I don't have him. Ernie's on him, on him, on him, on him, on him. And he gets to a point, and I say I'm on him. Now Ernie's lost him. Yeah. Ernie's lost him. Of course him. he has. Ernie's Perfect. lost him. That's how it always happens. Right. And then he steps out, and I think there was a brief moment where we both had him. Yeah. Moment came, went, passed. I mean, it was split second, and then he steps to where his head and his vitals are covered by a bush and then a telephone pole. And then I had to tell Ernie that I didn't have him again. And then he walked off. So on a scale of one to wanting to strangle him, like where were you at mentally there, Ernie? Well, I mean, bottom line is I, I really, I take every one of these moments, you know, alone, right? And and I'm perfectly comfortable. Yeah. He was one of those borderline deers that I really thought that he was four. Greg seems to think he's five. So... Obviously, I made a mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, we were watching. We had some footage of him in the summer, and there were times where I really thought he was four, and then other times he looked better. But I, I strive for, for hunting mature deer. Yeah. That's what I want. I, I want to have a story. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm okay with having passed him, honestly. If we never see him again, it's a moment that we, we lost. Right? Yeah. But I'm perfectly fine with not punching a tag. I need to have a connection. Yeah. And 
Well, in that moment, I mean, that moment is lost. That That is slated for the show I'm cutting right now. Well, no, no. I mean, yeah. you know, for in terms of punching a tag, mm-hmm. if he's gone completely, right. somebody else shot him, we'll never see him again. Yeah. We'll never know. And we won't have a finality to that, what Greg likes to have. Yeah. But uh, we're okay. I'm okay with it. And, and I was perfectly fine. I didn't... I don't think there was much of a fraction of a second that I wanted to strangle you. So it was just, <laughs> you know, momentarily. <laughs> well, just a little bit. What uh, about you, Greg? What did you think about me in that moment? When uh, obviously, that? therapy is working for you, Ernie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so keep going. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm on step 10. Well, that's what I wanted you to. So Ernie, name, you name all your aunt, all your, the deer that you want to go after, after villains, which I yes. love that. Yes. So go through some names of the deer Well, over the years. Hmm. There's Freddy Krueger. Yeah. There's, there's Linus, obviously, from yeah from the movie Lost. Yeah. Or from the show Lost. Yeah. There's... Um, um, I told you Bane. You haven't named one Bane yet. You no, we haven't. One. We haven't named Bane yet. We're going to get more. But this we're, year we're going to name one Bane. Yeah. He's he's next. He's <laughs> going to be a good uh, a good candidate. But you know what, what the issue is that I have a... Um, I have to make a connection... I love these animals so very much. Yeah. And I take so much. Okay, this sounds really weird, but I like to think I take care of them in a way where it's, you know, it's not, we're not connected. Yeah. But I'm their steward. I, I yeah, take care sure. of their habitat. 100%. I, I make sure their water's clean. I make sure they've got, you know, where to do what they need to do. Yeah. And not feel social stress and not feel, you know, chased and, and things of this nature. So yeah. it's kind of. It's kind of odd. It's a it's a strange dynamic that only a crazy Cuban from Miami could <laughs> probably you know develop. But uh, I I call them every one of them has a villain name, so I can associate a level of anger <laughs> with them. So when I see him, yeah, and it's time to you know to draw my bow on him, yeah, there's nothing but laser focus on that one particular hair yeah. that I want to hit. And I thought that's kind of weird. Well, no, I love that because I've heard I've heard some other you know like Fox Reilly's philosophy was anytime a deer would come out that he know he wanted to shoot, he'd always tell himself mentally like this is not going to happen. He's not going to come over here. He's not going to close enough. This is never going to happen. It's never going to happen. He's like and he would always talk himself off the cliff of he's never going to come over here because then he would never get worked up because he'd get buck fever really bad. Mm-hmm. And he would tell himself that until it was like a moment like it's happening right now. Make the shot type thing. He's like because if I didn't, I'd freak myself out. So yeah. I think it's different for everybody. They all, ha- everyone has a different process. Yeah. Um, so when a deer comes in my kill zone. Yeah. And I consider, I mean, it, everything depends on the weather, depends on mm-hmm. on how he's acting. But anything, honestly, inside eighty yards, he's dead. Yeah. So I don't. I I kind of like jump from excitement of seeing, you know, a target to to the the point where after he you know the arrow's gone and he's i assume him dead does that make sense mm-hmm. so when i see something i have to make a mistake in order for that not to not to be the case mm-hmm. and, and it's i think for me it's worked i actually don't know the secret the secret sauce to making that to continuing that but i so far it's worked and uh, you know, I've I've been I've been 
more than like I mean more so than than average. I've been good on the draw. Yeah, well, there's a room in there that proves that. Yeah, there's some, there's a, uh, that's something I, which I've, I've done enough hunting behind the camera to where I can, I can talk myself through things. But I, when I was first hunting, man, I'd get tore all the pieces when I had something in front of me. It was bad. Like I would make a shot. No, I don't know if looked through my peep. I don't know anything happened. I don't know if I hit the deer. I, I blacked out. Yeah. Like that was me in the early days of bow hunting years and years ago and. Now with experience and being in that moment so many times and having to be in that pressure situation with a camera, like now with a bow, it's like, okay, this is this is easier than – I think it's – that to me, I mean, you still have to execute a shot, and that's really hard. But in terms of the pressure, there's so much less I have to think about with a bow in my hand than there is with a camera in my hand. Mm. So, I mean, I've been there enough now is where it's like, okay, all right, execute a shot, which – I love bow hunting too, except for turkeys. I like shooting as a shotgun. <laughs> um, so how do you guys feel about this season coming up? Well, I think we have a lot of good hunts planned. You may actually get your uh, wish to go to Hawaii. Well, that's if my wife doesn't kill me first for <laughs> not bringing her. Because I told her that there was a hunt to Hawaii, and she said, are you going on that? I was like, I don't know. I really want to. You know, from a whitetail standpoint, uh, you know, Ernie and I have taken advantage in the evenings here to plan out our food plot strategy, mm-hmm. new stand locations, new property development, because we're, seems like we're always expanding the footprint, Yep. Um, you know, second year in Missouri. So we actually have a baseline to work from and, uh, and there's a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people who watch the show, they see the highlight reel, Yeah. right? They, in, in no matter how well we tell the story, it does not fully um, compare to the thousands of man hours because it's a team effort um, by everybody uh, to make this, uh, you know, happen. And, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, thousands of acres in three states. And, uh, you know, we love it. We're passionate about it. We can't wait till the soil temperatures rise and the uh, ground dries out so we can start breaking the ground. But uh, this year we have tree restoration programs going in. We have warm season grasses going in. Uh, we've got the veil mulcher going to be uh, spending weeks and weeks and weeks creating new habitat and new areas for hidey uh, hole little hunting plots. Um, so we've got a really extensive list. A good thing is Ernie has a little bit more time on his hands this year. I do. Uh, so uh, he's going to spend a lot more time in the driver's seat uh, than than a week here and a week there. So uh, the labor cost goes way down <laughs> <laughs> because he's going to be, uh, you know, the guy at the stick this year. But uh, we've rolled over on both of our farms a lot of good deer. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Last year was an amazing year for us. And i got to tell you that this adding the Missouri property was – one of the greatest things I've ever done. I mean, it was a, an amazing piece that we were I mean, you're just lucky to, you know, to get, really. But to be able to, I feel confident right now that I've learned enough of that farm to where I can g- almost guarantee you that if I, if I have an opportunity this coming season, we're going to bring back a really nice deer. No, no question. I think the, the framework is set, and uh, I think a lot of it has to do with how do you balance your time between states, and, and that's always the challenge for all of us, uh, yeah. because 
you don't want to overpressure one farm or overpressure one deer, but yet there are peaks killing times. And there's only so many times that deer is killable. Exactly. And if you're not there, if you're not ready, you can't, you can't kill them. You may have missed the one or two windows uh, that you have to kill them. Yeah. You want to tell the folks about that buck that walked up on us on four, the four of oh us? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Standing at the bottom of the stand? Yes. Th- that one? So, uh, so Ernie was hunting the majority of the day, and he texts me. He goes, hey, I really feel we need to tweak the stand location. These deer are traveling closer to the railroad bed. And, uh, and I think, you know, maybe we just need to move this 40, 50 yards to be more in, in the zone. Yep. And, uh, so I said, okay, I'll come over, you know, around 12 o'clock and I'll help you. We'll be really quiet. We slip in. Wouldn't you believe as soon as Ernie gets down out of the stand, oh, Murphy's law, Murphy's law, you know, he, he taps him with showing his buck, 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 buck. And, and I'm looking at a smaller buck, you know, a, a two year old deer. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's, we see a lot of those, which was like 10 <laughs> yards away from us, 10 yards. I mean, like close. So obviously this is in the middle of the rut. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so the deer are using the travel corridors. Their common sense is going through. The wind was good. And uh, so I'm looking at this deer, and Ernie's grabbing his bow, and I'm like, I, I, I wasn't making the connection. Like, well, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't, just didn't make any sense to me. Well, he was in Missouri. You never know. I mean, well, exactly what I didn't know <laughs> was, was the bigger deer, which was definitely 160 plus. Oh, yeah. You know, heavy horned, long tined framey deer dark horned and uh so when the younger deer turned and ran he was following the bigger deer and then of course my eyes came out of my head and i'm like oh my god <laughs> like that was a, a big deer but that goes to show you luck and bad luck right yep. um you know kind of reside in uh in a hunter's mind every day well you know and that that moment really taught me uh, a lot of lessons really um first of all it you know it we have to look at this from a camera's perspective, right? Yeah. So that's kind of why I call Greg. Hey, you know, like I really think we gotta re-see, you know, relook at this, and because all the deer were coming off the hill, coming at us, looking at us, so we were a bit skyline in that tree. Mm. So I think it was it's an awesome tree, but it's just too open. But um, so it was Rob, Aaron, Greg, and myself. And the the buck, I I was I had the angle on him, so I I saw him moving behind the tree or heading right toward us. Rob was be was between me and the tree, so he didn't know anything was going on. Aaron was to my right, looking at the little deer, and Greg was turned around looking at you know talking to us. And then when when I said shooter shooter shooter, <laughs> and I grabbed my bow, Aaron and Greg were looking at the little deer, and. I remember Aaron saying, are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> are we going to do this? Are we going to shoot this little deer? <laughs> it's like, what? What? What's going on? And it, it, I was just looking at the big one. Yeah. But my God, man, what a deer. Yeah. It was just a great buck. So while we're on the subject of Missouri Farm, uh, you got some turkeys on that place? Oh, yeah. Well, They're actually more like pterodactyls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you going to go up there and turkey hunt? Hell yeah. Okay, good. You're going to take your bow, though, Arnie? Come on, man. You need to break the shotgun out for at least once you're in Missouri. All right, you know what we're going to do? We're going to rethink this uh, turkey head. Uh, you know, I, I really like, you know, like turkey, um, bow hunting turkeys. 
It's such a challenge. You have oh, it's to re- a challenge. There's you have no such a small window of, of opportunity with yeah. these birds. And if you don't get it right, you're going to injure the bird. You're, yeah. gonna, you're not going to get them. Yeah. Uh, I remember that, that, remember, what is it, two years ago, Greg, we had that, uh, that huge Tom. He, uh, it was a zombie Tom, basically. Zombie Tom. Yeah. So, you know, he comes in. I was um, hunting this, this, um, this funnel, and this, this beautiful, I mean, huge Tom comes in and roost two trees away from me. So I'm looking at this, and I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe he came in right behind me. I never heard him. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I hear when he was going up the tree. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to shoot a deer. I mean, I'm sorry, a turkey, you know, on the roost. a uh, tree. Absolutely. Not. I don't even know if it's legal. It probably isn't. But that's not what I. I, I think it's legal. I don't know if it's morally right. Though. Well, it's just not right. Yeah. You know, it's just something you don't do. But, um and I'm like, I'm texting Rob and Greg, and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait here until after dark. I'm going to come off of this tree without any lights, and I'm just going to sneak out of here. I'm going to come back tomorrow morning. He's going to come off the, you know, the, the roost, and I'll, hit, you know, I'll be able to shoot him. And um, he did. The, the following morning, I was there. I came in without a light, went up the tree. Sun starts coming up. He's just up there, and I'm, I mean... We could have, I could have brought him breakfast. Yeah. That's how close he was. <laughs> and he finally, he, so he starts, you know, gobbling and he, 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 you know, he starts moving. And I can see it. Yeah. He comes down and won't you know, he walks the opposite direction. And all of a sudden he turns around and he's coming right in my shooting lane. And oh my, I got him. He's in my kill zone. I, I go to full draw. I felt it was like the perfect shot until it wasn't. Until it was so, this turkey just starts flopping, blah blah blah. You know, like, you know, you were the dead roll, right? Yeah. And I grab my phone. I start texting Rob, and I texted my family on a group group chat. Rob and Greg, Manny, I told everybody, kill the monster, Tom. <laughs> Ten yard shot. When I put my phone away, this bird gets up. He yeah. starts doing the zombie walk. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. oh, oh Oh, no, 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 no. So I, I grabbed my, by the time I grabbed my, you know, I put the arrow on the string and it was too late. He was, had walked away. I've seen a bunch of them do that with a, with a bow. It's, it's crazy. It's terrible. You don't hit them in the right place. It's just, they're, just, they're tough suckers. But he was dead for like 15 minutes yeah. until he, until he wasn't. Until he wasn't. You know, it's just crazy. So then he walked away and I got off the tree as fast as I could. And I was, you know, stalking him. I didn't know where the hell he went. And I almost stepped on him. And he saw me, takes off flying, never saw him again. Dang. I sucks. looked for six hours for that damn bird. <laughs> Did not find him. Dang, dude. I hope you made it. You shot him with a shotgun. You'd have found him. Yeah. <laughs> look at that look at that stare he's giving. He's just giving me attitude now. You know, if you just is the disdain, if you just this, right the other disdain, disdain. Put, put some so, new yeah. tree stands up, did some habitat improvement, you would have had something that would have paid bigger dividends uh, later. Yes, like wouldn't crock it possibly? Right? There we right, go. Exactly. There they don't make go. 180 inch turkeys. No. All right. So, I I don't think we gave. I wanted to give Greg more time to talk about your thoughts on how the season went production wise and the edits or the edit right now. Ooh. Oh, it's just like. Uh, <clears throat> You know the second uh, t- take here on a redneck podcast. Yeah. The, uh, 
Because we got into the rabbit trail, and then Caleb let me talk yeah, about the, things, and wow. I, you know, went letting too long talk, for that. You, so. Letting you talk was the problem. You know, the, yeah, the, you know, I'll, I'll obviously tell the listeners how this, the same thing that I told you guys. The first episode you guys did, I was hoping for a B or B minus, and what I got was a B plus or an A minus. Cinematography is great. Edits were great. Um, and really the things that we talked that we could improve upon were stylistic. Mm-hmm. They weren't technical. We weren't having to reorganize a lot of things. It was, so you guys did your, I think a few things. Number one, you curated the content in season. Well, very well. Two, we shot to a storyline and you stayed to the storyline. And three, you obviously had prepped and understood my brand and my voice well enough to put it together to represent that. And, uh, and I think by the time we get to episode three or four, I think your edit time's going to, you know, be cut in half at least, because now you're going to understand, like in your mind, you'll be able to see it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think really a lot of this is a testament. Um, and again, for the people listening, I think they, they need to understand this, you know, it's a team effort mm-hmm. and, 100%. uh, and obviously, uh, you know, Ryan and Caleb, you know, are at the helm, but so are uh, Clint and Aaron, who were really uh, instrumental. And then obviously mm-hmm. Clay came out for the girls' shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the planning, so if people really understood the whiteboards and the amount of notes that we take, yeah. how do we open the show? Do we have an opening shot? How do we transition from this? Uh, just like today, you know, we were talking about how do we go from, you know, this skit to this skit, right? Mm-hmm. What's the bridge scene? And uh, what are the visuals? And each one of those gets built out. So when you get to edit, you have those notes. Right. Yeah. Which have to be super important on the trips that you weren't on. Obviously, the trips you were on, you, you know, you have a firsthand experience on that. Right. But a lot of those shoots you weren't on. So, I mean, you really rely on the work that those guys put in to organize that storyline and those thoughts, which is a monumental task. Yeah. And Clint really helped a lot on that, on organizing um, a lot of that, because I didn't get to do as many shoots as I'd like to, but uh, Clint really laid out the shows and understands the lo- the storylines well. So that was that was a big help, too. But um, Well, I, and, and none of you guys had worked on the show previously. Mm-mm. So I think as we went through the season, it became easier because um, I think we were getting ahead on – uh, what needed to be done as opposed to, okay, what did we get done today? And did we fill up any buckets? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And we did some cool stuff along the way too. A lot of cool images, a lot of really cool video. I can't wait to see it all. This whole done. season, obviously coronavirus impacted our ability to do a lot of the cool hunts. Yeah. We didn't go to um, Kodiak Island, yeah. right? We didn't go to Hawaii. We're going to replace that trip. We didn't go to the Yukon. Um, but Inch for inch, I had my best whitetail season ever, mm-hmm. ever. I mean, I set my goal of I wanted to shoot at least one booner with my bow. I wanted to harvest four deer, and I wanted to maintain. I wanted nothing under 160. Like, that's a tall, really that's big a tall order. stand. Right, exactly. All on, you know, do-it-yourself hunts on property that, that I've assisted or managed. Right, so these aren't guided hunts, right? On known deer, mm-hmm. and uh, and we checked every one of those boxes, including my largest eight point to date at, at the end of the season. Well, I mean, I think 
will take credit for some of those. I mean, a couple of the, yeah, for sure. You, sh- you should. Yeah. I mean, those deer, I mean, we kind of summoned them. Like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Spiritually. <laughs> Spiritually, I, yeah. As, as I remember, I don't think you hit record on any of, in, any of those kills, but that's okay. Um, how you're, many, you're, you're great support. I know, Ryer. Yeah, Ryer. And how many did you end up filming over there? Three or four? So, total over the season for the show, uh, I think I was a part of four kills yeah where i was with whoever shot the animal and then probably a couple additional um as a as like recreating the yeah. uh recoveries and stuff uh, recoveries oh and, yeah and and the um and the uh hunts mm-hmm. but yeah i think four yeah that's yeah. a i mean it was we had we had a we had a great season we yeah. were truly blessed with the coronavirus and how compacted we had to produce everything. Yeah. And uh, looking forward to this one. Guys, thank you so much. I think we got to go. We actually got to get work done now. But I thank you all for taking the time to get on the podcast. And Ernie, thank you again for letting us use this awesome studio. Oh, and thank you for coming. All right, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>